Well, good morning. It's exciting to be here. We're wrapping up a series today called Clutter, and I have to be honest with you, I'm feeling a little bit self-conscious this morning. My wife told me something that I thought was very strange, um, but she said, when I first called her house years ago, years ago when we were dating, uh, when we first started dating, and her father picked up the phone and gave her the phone, and I had a conversation with her, and we hung up. He said that she said, or she said that he said, that boy sounds like he's 12. So that, so she said that this morning, so I'm going to try to talk a, a little deeper today. Because <laughs> you start thinking, do I sound like I'm 12 every, every day, you know? Anyway, um, that has nothing to do with anything. Uh, we're in a series uh, called Clutter, and so we're wrapping things up today. And uh, if you're a guest with us here today, you've been invited by a friend. Man, this is a great, great, uh, I think it's a great day for you to be here. Just to kind of sum up where we've been, to kind of catch you up. What we've been talking about is in the same way that, that our closets get cluttered and rooms in our house get cluttered, and we all have a junk drawer that gets cluttered or the back of our car or office. In the same way that areas of our life can get cluttered, um, our lives, our, our, our areas in our home can get cluttered, our lives can also get cluttered. And what we've been saying in this series is that the consequences of a cluttered closet are not nearly as severe as the consequences of a cluttered life. And this is kind of what we've been saying each week in your notes there, is that when our lives are cluttered, we fail to make our greatest contribution. I believe with all my heart that every single human being on the planet today was created to make a contribution, a significant contribution. But when our lives get cluttered and when our lives get pulled in a hundred different directions and our lives look like this, we end, up, we end up being pulled in every direction and we make very little progress in each one of those directions and we fail to make our greatest contribution. So this series has really been about getting our lives to look more like this, to bring our lives into focus as, as Alexander Graham Bell said, the sun's rays do not begin to burn until they come into focus, right? And those of us who, who, who were children, we, we used to get magnifying glasses, or maybe you never did this, and try to get the sun's rays to focus in and burn some leaves. And, and if you had a darker nature, you started to burn some insects or some spiders or ants. Um, I never did that. But, but, the, but the, the idea is to get your life to come into focus so that you can have a greater impact in this world, and so we've talked about ideas like accepting the the, uh, the the reality of limitations and accepting the reality of trade-offs. That was week one. If you missed that, you can go back and check that out. All these are on our website. And then we talked about uh, the the idea of valuing God's opinion over man's opinion and setting your priorities. Because if you don't set your priorities, who will? Someone else will, right? And then last week we talked about creating space, creating space to reflect on our lives, to refresh our lives, and to refocus our lives. And how many of you did that this week? You practiced the Sabbath and you created some margin and some space to reflect and refresh and, and refocus. Anybody? Anybody do that? All right, about 10% of you. I'm going to pretend like the other 90%. Uh, you already practiced the Sabbath. See, I need to, I need to do that, otherwise I'll go crazy. Um, so... So I'm glad the rest of you have that figured out. So anyway, so today what I want to do is talk uh, about another reason why our lives get so cluttered. And, and it's in your notes right here. Our lives get cluttered because we are caring too much about the wrong things. We're caring too much about the wrong things. You know, when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ in 1995 as a senior in high school, the summer after my senior year ended, God led me to a passage in the book of Matthew 
And, and, and I kept coming back to it and kept coming back to it. And, and it's, it's made a huge impact on my life. And it's the story, uh, Jesus told this story of, a, of, a, of a, basically a farmer or someone who was sowing some seeds. It really represented a preacher or God himself who was sowing seeds of truth. And he said the, the, the sower would go out and he would spread some seed. And some of the seed fell on some hard ground. And immediately the birds flew in and, and ate up that seed. And, and it had no time to take root in the soil. And the soil was basically... Uh, represented the hearts of, of individual people. So that soil was hard and the seed didn't penetrate. And then there was this other soil that was rocky and it was shallow, lots of rocks in it. And so the seed went in and it sprung up immediately. But as soon as the sun, you know, hit the seed and started to, did the difficulties of life started to, uh, to impact that seed, it died out. And then there's this third soil that he talked about, the thorny soil. And we'll get to that in just a second. And then he talked about a fourth soil called the good soil, and the seed went in there, and, and we're going to close. I'm going to circle back to the good soil at the end of this talk, but let's look at the third soil, the thorny soil. Verse 7, other seeds fell among thorns that grew up and choked out the tender plants. Now, if you have older brothers, you grew up with old, older brothers, you understand what it means to get choked out, don't you? <laughs> Maybe you had a really strong older sister, <laughs> and she used to choke you out, right? Basically get you in a headlock and make you say uncle, and you feel like you're going to die. Cause, okay. Anyway, that's what, that, that's, what the, that's what we're talking about here, that the, that, that's, the thorns grew up around this seed that was planted in the soil of the heart, and it, and it got choked out. In verse 22, Jesus explains a little bit more, puts some detail on it. He says, the seeds that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. Check this out. But all too quickly, the message is choked out or crowded out by the, say it with me, worries of this life. And the, say it with me, lure of wealth. So that in the end, the result is this right here. No fruit is produced. When I was reading that as a young Christ follower, I thought, oh my. God, I don't want that to be me. I don't want to hear this wonderful message of grace and truth and forgiveness and mercy and then move on with my life and give in to the temptation of wealth or money or the things that money can buy, power, reputation, or having people think well of me. And all the things that our world values. God, help me to, to not become that thorny soil that chokes out the truth that was planted in my heart. And I just would read that over and over and over and over. God, I want to be the fourth soil. But the reality is that for many of us, our lives have been, become cluttered because we have, we've lost the battle in this area. Our soil is thorny. We've become focused on, on the concerns and cares of this life. And they've cluttered up our souls such that we, can't, we don't even know what is important to focus our lives on anymore. And we're focus on, focusing on what people think about us or, or making more money or having more stuff. Am I the only one that faces this? Am I, right? The cares of this world come in and they choke the word and they crowd out the truth. There was a guy in the Bible who allowed this to happen to himself. His name was Demas, and Demas was a guy who followed the Apostle Paul. Now, the Apostle Paul was the big dog in the New Testament, okay? He was the man, 
And he's the guy that God chose, you know, knocked him off his horse. Remember that story in the book of Acts? He kind of tells it a few times. And the Apostle Paul would go on to launch all these different churches. And at one point, God brought him up to heaven and showed him all kinds of stuff he couldn't even speak about. Like, like when he would write, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. In fact, Paul wrote 14 books of the New Testament. Okay, so Paul was the big dog in the New Testament. So there's Jesus, and then there's like the greatest Christian to ever live, Paul. That's my opinion, okay? Some would say Peter's like the big dog. Okay, he's also a dog in the fight, but I think Paul's got him, okay? And so, uh, but so, so Paul's the man. So Paul's doing amazing things. Like, like, like he's healing people. He's preaching these, these, these sermons that are like from heaven, right? And there's a guy named Demas who's right next to him. He's in the crew. He's in the posse. He's in, the, he's in the, the support group. He's helping Paul launch churches. He's helping Paul put things together. He's helping Paul do all the ministry, and, and he's doing all this stuff. Paul calls him a co-laborer in the work of the ministry. That's what Paul called him, but then something happened. Paul describes what happened in 2 Timothy chapter 4. At this point, Paul's in jail because it was treacherous being a missionary back then. It was dangerous stuff, so he's writing this in jail to his young protege, Timothy, he says, Demas has deserted me. He's left me. And you can almost feel the pain in his heart. After all we've done, after all we've been through, after all he got to see God do through us as we partnered with the Holy Spirit to, to literally transform this, this area, right? He says, Demas has deserted me because he, say it with me, loves the things of this life. And he's gone off to Thessalonica. Demas. We don't name our boys Demas, do we? Demas, dinner's ready. We say Joshua, we say James, we say Peter, we say Paul, we say Caleb. Come on in, dinner's ready, you know. But we don't say Demas. Because Demas didn't finish well. Demas fell in love with the things of this world. He went to Thessalonica. I'd read over that probably 25 times and never really looked at it you know, with any type of, um, I don't know, in-depth. But Thessalonica, as it turns out, turns out at that particular time uh, in history, was the, it, was the, it was the place to be. It was the metropolis of the province. If you had money, you went to Thessalonica. Pe- rich people lived there. If you wanted to build a life of wealth and luxury, you went to Thessalonica. So it makes complete sense that Demas went there. He did not finish well, you know what my heart is? My heart is, is, to, is, to, is to not be a Demas. And I think Jesus, Jesus gave us this parable of the four soils so that we can, we can be tipped off. Here's what's going to happen. The seed is going to be planted in the soil of your heart. And if you're not careful, the, the, the cares of this life and the lure of wealth and all that the world says is important, if you're not careful watching over your soul, you will give in to the temptation and it will clutter up your life and the truth and the, the seed that was planted will become unfruitful. And you will not do the good works that you were planned to do since the creation of the world. You see that? Now, before we get too hard on Demas or come down too hard on him, let's, let's talk about it for a second because... It was difficult being a missionary back then. Paul, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says he was whipped five times, 39 lashes each time. So that's not fun. Anybody, anybody ever been whipped? <laughs> that's not a good, that's not a good, you know, so his back was all bloodied up five times. He was whipped, right? He was also beaten with a rod three times. That's what he said. He was also stoned once, not with weed. No, 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 not that type. 
He was stoned with rocks, okay? They, they threw rocks on him until he looked like he was dead, and then they left him, okay? So he was stoned. He was beaten with rods. He was whipped five times. He was shipwrecked three times. He went nights and days without food, without a home. And Demas is with him the whole time. And so now, you know, considering that type of lifestyle, and now, and now when Paul was writing 2 Timothy, he was in jail, right? So, so now Demas is going, this, I'm done. I'm done with this life. We never know if we're going to have food. We never know if we're going to have clothing. We never know if we're going to get attacked. I might get arrested. I might end up in jail like Paul. I'm done with this life. I know God's doing powerful things and churches are getting launched and people are getting healed. And I know, Paul, there's great stuff being done. But I just, I just want some safety. I want to retreat into the, the, the safety of money and wealth and stuff and power and prestige. See, you can begin to understand why Demas made this decision. Because there's a little bit of Demas in every single one of us. Don't you empathize with him a little bit? I do. I do. I get it. I don't want to be arrested, beaten, thrown in jail hungry, without food, separated from my family. I don't want that. There's a little bit of Demas in every one of us. I didn't say there was a demon in every single one of us. Now, if you have a demon inside of you, I have a friend who does some casting out of demons. No joke. I'm serious. He does. (laughs) Um, But anyway, that's not what I'm talking about today. So (laughs) there's a little bit of Demas inside of every one of us. What I, mean, what I mean is that there's, the problem is, is inside of me. The problem is inside of you. It's not outside of us. It's inside of us. Listen to the way James, James chapter 1, James describes it, the brother of Jesus. Temptation comes from where? Where? Our own desires. Not somebody else's desires. Temptation comes from right inside my chest. The problem is with me. See that, right? Which entice us and drag us away. He's using a fishing illustration. He's saying the fish bite the bait because the fish want the bait. That's, that's, that's what happens. The reason we fall into sin, the reason Demas fell in love with the cares of this life is because he loved those things. Does that make sense? He wanted them. He can, and then James continues. These desires that are inside of us give birth to sinful actions. We bite, we take, we sin. And when sin is allowed to grow, he switches illustrations to a pregnant woman. When sin is allowed to go nine months in the belly, it gives birth to, say it with me, death. The fruit is choked. The seed is choked out. The truth is crowded out. There is no fruit in your life. There is a death instead. You know, I'm not a fisherman, and some of you probably know that if you know my history. I grew up in Staten Island, New York. There's not a lot of ponds or lakes to fish in. <laughs> so I don't like fish anyway. My dad took me one time. He had a friend who had a boat. I think we went off the Jersey Shore and we did some fishing and I caught a fish and I think we snapped the picture back then. It's probably lost by now. I was a little boy. I remember fish being stinky, slimy, smelly. I remember blood. I remember the fish suffocating to death almost. It's just, it's just not, a, not a fun memory. So to this day, I'm thinking, why would anybody go fish? I don't get it, but apparently some people like it. My kids like it. So, so we have friends who live on a lake, and, and uh, they invited us this weekend to come down and, and uh, you know, go, go fish. So, okay, we'll go fish, right? So I'm there. We're on the dock. We're having fun we're with our friends or whatever, and the kids are fishing. And I'm sitting there. I'm like, I'm not going to do this. I'm just going to sit here and watch. This is stupid. Fish smell. They stink. You know, they don't really taste that good. And 
And so, but then, I, you know, you kind of get bored because everybody else is doing it. So I, I said, give me, I said, let me do a few throws or whatever you call it. A few, a few, uh, yeah, there you go, a few casts. So I get the thing. <laughs> And I grabbed this pole, and, and, and they made it real simple. I remember it being much more difficult as a boy, but now you just hold your finger down and you throw it. And so we're out there. I'm, I'm not kidding. Like the third or fourth throw, I feel, this, I feel like I got something. It's unbelievable. Like, oh, my gosh, I think I got a fish. So I start wheeling it in, and you, know, you get that surge. I guess this is why people like to fish. You feel like you've conquered the world. <laughs> I'm a winner, you know? Made me feel like a winner. So I reeled this thing in. I, we snapped a picture of it. Check, check this out. This is huge. This, this fish is ginormous. <laughs> you see it there? Now, some of you, you don't think there's a fish there because there is a fish there. It's big, too. You can see how big it is. It's almost as big as my head. I mean, it's huge. <laughs> I think it was a bluegill, but who really knows? You know, with these names of these fishes, whatever. And I started to think about that in light of what James said about temptation. And I started to think, did I catch that fish? Did that fish get caught because I'm an expert fisherman, because I know what I'm doing? What do you think? <laughs> I haven't touched the pole since I've been tw I was 12, right? No, I didn't catch a fish because of, because of something outside, so, you know, some great, I'm, I'm a great fisherman. I caught that fish because something inside the fish likes worms. And I had a worm on the end of that hook. I don't like worms. Do you like worms? Fried worms? Anybody like worms? No, we wouldn't eat worms. But for some odd reason, fish like worms. And because fish like worms, that, that fish bit my worm, and I caught a fish. And here's the problem with temptation. Here's the problem with Demas. This is why there's a little bit of Demas in every single one of us. We like the wrong things. Can we be honest with ourselves and admit that? I can. There's something inside of me that desires the wrong things to be recognized and puffed up and, you know, sin of all different kinds. The problem is in here with me. And the problem is inside of your chest and your soul. So what do we do? How do we, how do we manage that? And we did a whole series on, called Soul Keeping and a couple of months ago. It's fantastic. That's what we dealt with in that series. We don't have time to get too deep into all this, but... I do want to share two thoughts with you that I feel, I, I feel like can help to declutter our lives from the cares of this world and the lure of wealth and all that our community and world says is important and valuable and tempts us to chase after. Ready? Two thoughts, two thoughts. Number one, you must keep an eternal perspective. You must keep an eternal perspective. What I mean is you must take the long view. You must look at what really matters in life. This is the way the Apostle Paul, I mentioned him a few moments ago and how he was the big dog of the New Testament and all that stuff. Listen to something he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. So we fix our eyes, not our, not our physical eyes, but the focus of our life, our mind and our heart. So we fix our lives not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is, say it with me, temporary, in other words, it doesn't last. In other words, it's not that valuable. In other words, it's not what's most important. We fix our eyes not on what is temporary, but rather what is on what is unseen, which is what? Eternal. Meaning that it's most important, meaning that it will last forever. Paul is simply saying, 
Let me give you some advice on how to invest your life, your, your one and only life on this planet, which is very short. You have to focus your attention on what is most important, and what is most important is not what is seen, but rather what is unseen, because what is seen only lasts a short amount of time, but what is unseen lasts forever. What incredible insight. Where did he get this insight from? What do you think? He was a follower of Jesus. Right? He got it from Jesus. Jesus is the one who said this first in, Je- in Matthew chapter 6. Listen to how Jesus said the same idea in a different way. He said, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, which is what? Temporary here. It's short-lived. It doesn't last. It's not most important. What is he talking about? Uh, accolades, cars, rewards, uh, all the things that do not last forever. Don't, don't lay up treasures for yourself on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Rather, here's what I want you to do. Jesus' words, ready? Rather lay up for yourselves treasures in where? Say it with me. Heaven. Invest in eternity. Invest in things that will last forever. Listen, here's why. Because neither moth nor rust destroys, and thieves do not break in and steal in heaven. So take your one and only life that you have and invest it in things that will last forever. See what this does? This this just gives you eyes to see. And, and it allows you to have a grid to look through so that you can begin to declutter and put all of the cares of this world or get all of the cares of this world, the lure of wealth, out of your soul. You can declutter your soul. We say, you know what? That won't last. This will last. And by the way, what, what does last forever? There's really only two things. You ready for it? God himself. Is God eternal? Yes or no? Yes, God is eternal. He always has been, always will be. Never had a beginning. Okay? God is eternal. So you want to know him. You want to know about him. You want to invest in your relationship with him. You want to walk with him because if you're Christ's father, you're going to be with him forever. And then what else is eternal? What else is eternal? Come on, you can talk to me. Yes, people, people, people last forever. Isn't that a crazy idea? You've never bumped into a human soul that will not live somewhere forever. People are eternal. So what does it mean to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven? What, he's, what Jesus is saying is invest in knowing me and invest in blessing people because people last forever. Rewards don't last forever. Books don't last forever. Houses don't last forever. Recognition doesn't last forever. Reputation doesn't last forever. Money doesn't last forever. The things that money can buy don't last forever. In fact, that car that you drive right now, One day it's going to be put in one of those machines that squishes it like a box. (laughs) No, I'm serious. It is. It is going to be squished. One day that house you live in, there's going to be some big bulldozer that just bulldozes it over, just right over. (laughs) I've seen this happen a lot in Staten Island because Staten Island, there's no more land to build. So they just, what they do is they buy the lot and then they just bulldozer the house or the building that's on top of it just to make room for new. That's what they do. It's all going to burn up. It's all temporary. So why would we focus our lives and our attention on what is temporary? A lot of us focus on how we look, <laughs> me included. Uh, it's just a big thing in our, in our world today. You know, you, you're valuable if you look a certain way, and so we put a lot of attention. We stay a lot in front of the mirror. We invest in ourselves to look as good as we do. But here, I just need to let you know or, or share a thought with you, and, and if this offends you, I'm sorry, but it's just, just from my heart to yours because I love you. Here, here's, here's what's true. I have to remind myself of this all the time. 
as the days and the months and the years go by, <clears throat> pardon me, as time goes by, you're getting uglier. That's, not, that's the truth. That's true. That's true. You cannot stop it. You can try. You can do some medicine. You can take some pills. You can work out. You can do all kinds of stuff and get surgeries, and, and people do that. That's, but, but you can't stop it. You're, you're going to be busted up. <laughs> now you're just like, how rude is that, Pastor? Listen, it's just the truth. It's just the truth, you know? I'm approaching 40 now, and I look in the mirror, and I'm like, wow, it's hair. My hair is falling out and going different colors, and, and you know, my, I feel like my nose is getting bigger and <laughs> hair growing out of my ear, and it's like, wow, I don't look like I used to. So what's the point of, of putting all the energy and the time and the focus and letting my heart and mind get consumed with how I look? It's, it's pointless, but it's, it's still a struggle, still a struggle, right? I saw a preacher give an example one time that's just stuck in my mind, and maybe you've seen this before. He basically said, our lives, our lives are eternal, so we live forever. Okay? And this rope kind of represents all of our lives. It's a really, really long rope, and it's supposed to be long because it's supposed to illustrate eternity. So this is our life. It just goes on and on and on and on. It really does. Not forever, but it's really long, and there's still a lot left in the box. My point is this. This is, this is your life. It goes on forever. And this is your time on earth right here. And when I saw this illustration, man, my heart was gripped. And I thought, oh, wow. Why would I try to lay up for myself treasures on earth where moth and rust and thieves break in and steal? Why would I invest all my energy and my time and let my soul get cluttered up with things that are temporary that won't last? Why would I do that? That's unwise. Instead, I gotta, I gotta take you know, this short amount of time that I have on earth and lay up for myself, for myself treasures in heaven because that will impact all of eternity. Whoa. You see it? Yes or no? Wow. This is a short amount of time compared to all of eternity. So Jesus wrapped up his argument. Verse 21, he said this. Therefore, wherever your treasure is, Whatever is most important to you, whatever you cherish the most, guess what? That's where your heart will be also. What does he mean? Whatever you decide to treasure, whether it's something temporary or something eternal, your life is going to follow after your treasure. What do I mean? Your time and your money and your focus and your thoughts are going to be upon your treasure. What is your treasure? That's the question I want to ask you today. What is your treasure? Are you, are you treasuring wealth and security in the way you look and the, you know, who, your next promotion or power or influence or whatever? What's your treasure? Because whatever your treasure is, your heart is going to follow that thing. The direction of your life will follow your treasure. And Jesus would just simply say, let your treasure be something eternal. Spend, the, spend a little bit amount of time with your life treasuring eternal things because I'm telling you what, it'll pay eternal dividends forever. Isn't that powerful? That's how we declutter, whoops, <laughs> that's how we declutter our lives from the cares of this world. That's number one. Number two, once you begin to discover, you know, and the Holy Spirit starts to show you, okay, this is not, this is temporary, this is temporary, this is temporary, don't invest there, don't focus there, don't focus there, and then you have to eliminate. You have to get rid of it. You have to eliminate 
the worldly concerns that are cluttering your soul, the cares of this world. You've got to get rid of them. You've got to lay it down. You've got to cut it out. You've got to get a shovel and get it out of there. Listen to, listen to Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, meaning that many have gone before us and showed us the way, all of the names in chapter 11 in Hebrews, all these wonderful people, since we have great examples to follow, watch this. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to strip off every weight that slows you down. The, the Greek word there is to put it down, lay it down. Whatever is crowding your soul and cluttering up your soul that is not eternal, I want you to strip it off. He continues, watch this. He says, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Desire for wealth, a desire for prestige or recognition or whatever it is, the desire for more material possessions, your next house, car, whatever. I want you to get rid of those things, strip them off, so that you can run with endurance the race that God has set before us. The, the theme here or the example here is that of a runner. He said, you know what, when a, when, a, when a marathoner gets really serious about his race, he strips down almost nude. Now, we don't do nude today, but we get pretty close. Here, here's a picture of the guy who won the, um, the London Marathon. He didn't have much on. He's got a tank top. He took, got rid of his sleeves. He doesn't have a watch. Now, amateur runners wear watches. He doesn't have a thing for his iPad, his, I, his iPhone, right? See, amateur runners have that with their earphones on. They listen to tunes as they go. No watch, no earphones, no iPhone. He's got the shorty short shorts, you know what I'm saying? The ones you don't wear out in public. Some of you girls do. I don't understand that, but anyway, that's another story for another day. Um, but he's got the shorty short shorts because when you wear those, your white thighs show, you know what I'm saying, guys? So we don't wear those, but, but, he's, but he's wearing them. He's got socks and shoes. That's it. The serious runners, they take everything off that is unnecessary to win that race. You know what the, you know what Hebrews is, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is saying? He said, here's what, I, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take everything off that makes, that hinders you from running a good race. Let me ask you a question today. What's tripping you up? What is tripping you up? What worldly concern is causing you to stumble and trip up? in your life? What has gotten into your soul that is cluttering things up and causing you to focus in, in areas on concerns and things that are simply not the most important things? What is it? Is it material possessions? Is it the way you look? Is it your security, your financial security? And it's stopping you from investing your life in things that matter most, your relationship with God and people. Those are tough questions. Now, uh, that's what we're committed to do here at this church is, is, to, is to talk about truth. And, and at first, here's the thing about truth. At first, it really gets under your skin, doesn't it? It bothers you. But then in the end, what truth does is, it, what does it do? Tr the truth will, will, will set you free. It bothers you at first. It might even make you mad. But in the end, it sets you free. And it leads you to the life that God has planned for you. Does that make sense? So what have we said in this series? If you and I want to make our highest contribution, our greatest contribution, you have to declutter your life. We've talked about accepting the reality of limitations. We've talked about accepting the reality of trade-offs. We've talked about valuing God's opinion more than man's opinion. We've talked about setting your priorities, because if you don't, someone else will. We talked about creating space for you to refresh, to refocus your life. 
and to reflect on your life. And today we talked about living with an eternal perspective and eliminating whatever is tripping us up, causing us to not run the race that God has planned for us. Now, it's up, it's up to you to make the choice. If you make the choice to declutter your life, your life might end up looking something like this. And this would be wonderful. Ah. Doesn't that feel good? I just want to touch it. <laughs> See that? Isn't that beautiful? I did that myself. No, I didn't. <laughs> your life, when your life gets organized and, and, and clarified, oh my, you can think. Your days begin to have focus. Your days begin to become more productive. And guess what? In the end, as the weeks go by and the months go by, your life ends up making the greatest contribution, fulfilling the good works that God has planned for you. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. He said, let your light so shine before others, that life, that light that I put in you, let it go so that they may see your good works, the things that you and I do together in this world, and in the end, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. That's the purpose of our lives, to go through this life, discover what those good works are, partner with God to perform those good works so that in the end people say, wow, because of your life, I have a clear picture of who God is. I see God now as, as, as loving, as compassionate, as merciful, a God who believes in justice. I see a God who's understanding. I see a God who's faithful. And the reason I see God that way is because of the way you have lived your life. Can you imagine? Someone stands up at your funeral because you're going to have a funeral. We, none of us get out of here without going through the valley of the shadow of death, right? So can you imagine someone standing up at your funeral saying, I know God better because of the way she lived her life. I know God intimately today because of, of the way he lived his life. I've been in a few funerals like that. And there is rejoicing and there are tears and there is motivation and there is energy because of the way that person chose to live their life. You know what's incredible about human beings? We have a choice. We have a choice. It's amazing. God's, God's created us to make choices that can radically alter the destination or the end of our lives. Gooses don't. Have you ever thought about gooses? It's amazing. Something as simple as a goose. You know, there were two of them in my backyard this morning. Big Canadian geese pooping everywhere. Winter comes, what do they do? What do they do? You know what to do. Winter comes, what happens? They fly where? South. If you try to sit them down and say, fly east, fly west, when winter comes, what are they going to do? They don't have a choice because God has built it into them to fly south. You are not a goose. I love that. I'm simple like that. That sets me free. I'm not a goose. I can choose to, to, to declutter my life. I can choose to, to value eternal things. I can choose to do that. I can get rid of whatever's hindering my life. I can do that. I'm not a goose, and neither are you. You can do this. You can declutter your life, ultimately so that you can make your highest contribution. And then people will look at your life and say, wow, isn't God good? Now, I told you I'd circle back to the parable 
that Jesus told the fourth soil was the good soil. I can tell you without a doubt in my heart, it is God's will for you to be the good soil. For the seed that is sprinkled out every day as you read the word, you come here and you hear the word of God preached to, to, to flourish and produce 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. That's God's will for your life, for you to do those good works. You know how that starts? That starts by knowing Jesus Christ as your Savior. It starts by, by, by allowing some of the seed, the truth of the word of God to penetrate your heart and cause you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. So let me sprinkle a little bit of seed today for some of you who need to hear it. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever puts his faith in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You know God loves you despite what you might think and what you might heard. Even in your sin, God loves you. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote it this way. He said, but God demonstrates his love for us that while we were in our sin, Christ died for us. Some of us think that God looks down at us and he sees our sin and he is so angry and he just cannot wait for the next moment to punish us. No, no, no. The Bible says here, it's radical. It's, it's unbelievable that even in our sin, God loved us and sent his son to this earth to die on the cross for us so that you could have your sins washed away, so that you could receive grace, so that you could be forgiven, so that you could be reconciled to God in a relationship. God loves you, and he proved it. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you so you could become a child of God. What do you do with that? How do you respond to that? Well, you take a step of faith. You say, I don't have much faith. It doesn't take much. In fact, Jesus said one time, you can have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed. That's enough. And you move forward with that small faith. And you say, okay, I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe he did that so I can be forgiven. And then you ask him to forgive you and cleanse you and make you his child. And he does that. And so if you feel God tugging on your heart right now to make that choice, I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. It's a prayer of faith. It's a very simple prayer. It's you reaching out to God in faith, asking for the forgiveness of sins, declaring your belief in Jesus. However small that faith is, it's enough. If you'd like to do that, I'd ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. And everybody in the room, don't move. Don't move around. Don't try to get to your car. Pray instead. People live forever somewhere. Pray this simple prayer. Jesus, I believe in you. I put my trust in you right now for the forgiveness of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me, paying the penalty of my sin, doing what I could not do on my own. Wash me, cleanse me, make me your child. And from this day forward, help me to live out those good works that you've prepared for me so that people can see my life and give you glory. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed that simple prayer, the Bible says that you are born again. Not physically, obviously, but spiritually, you become a brand new person. And in the same way that a baby, when a baby is born, they give it to the mother and they want it to start drinking the mother's milk immediately. 
And the same way, I want you to begin drinking your milk. And your milk is the word of God. That's why we give these Bibles out to everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. These are one-year New Testaments. This is your milk. This is your spiritual nourishment. Of course, church helps, small groups helps, all that stuff. But there are Bibles in the back of the auditorium. If you're in the balcony, you can come down, down, down on the main floor. As we leave here, you can go grab one of these Bibles. And don't just grab one, but begin reading this because this is your spiritual nourishment day in and day out. I read these same passages every single day. Been doing that for years. Can we give God glory for what he's done today? Choices. Choices. Will you choose to declutter your life so you can make your highest contribution? I don't want you to get to the end of your life and be a Demas. There's an asterisk by your name. Did okay for a while, but in the end he deserted because he fell in love, she fell in love with the cares of this life. Will you choose to lay up treasures for yourself in heaven rather than on earth? Will you choose to focus your life on what is unseen rather than what is seen? That's the choice that you have. I hope you'll do it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've given us incredible truth. Oh, so thankful. We are not alone in this life trying to figure things out by ourselves. You have given us the scriptures and your spirit to guide us. Thank you. Help us to take what we heard today and put it into action immediately so that we can declutter our souls and make our greatest contribution so that our lives ultimately will point others to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. If you pray to receive Christ, go grab a Bible really quick. Next week, Mother's Day. How about that? Mom's Day. Bring your mother here and all your mother's friends and all her friends. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to celebrate moms next week. God bless. Starting a brand new series. We'll We'll see you next week.